The Ringers Gaming Podcast, Achievement Oriented, and our wrestling podcast, The Mass Man Show, are breaking off of Channel 33. You can now subscribe to each of them on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. My name is Robert Mays. I'm a writer at The Ringer. And joining me on the other line, it's Mike Lombardi. Mike, how are you? I'm great. Robert, how are you? I'm good. Finally back from Indy. Got back earlier in the weekend. And, uh, you know, by the end, I'm ready to be home. I'll be be honest with you. It becomes a long week. But it was great. It was great in the way that it normally is. Some good conversations. I felt like it's always good to just see the players in person for the first time. And so, yeah, I got what I wanted out of it. I don't know how you feel. You know, Indy's always uh, remarkable because it's more about what happens away from the Dome than actually in the Dome, uh, you know, all the conversations that you have because you're going to go back and watch the tape of the players work out once you get all the numbers. And So to me, what happens actually in the Dome is probably on the list of most important is not as important as the conversations as you get ready to go into free agency and kind of hearing what's going on around the league. Totally, and especially because it's been such a truncated schedule this year you know free agency starts tomorrow which it's hard to wrap my mind around i hate it yeah. <laughs> as i sat here this morning I was like really it starts tomorrow it's upset in how much i wish there was another week but that's just me i know that that's how they used to do it but since i've covered the league that's not how it's been at all you know i, I it's been some some years I, I remember having to go back early from indy because you know we you had to get below the cap i mean look a lot of teams are fortunate because they don't have to worry about getting below the cap most of the most of the time in the past, Indy was about restructuring contracts yeah. and trying to get fit into the cap and figuring out what the cap was. Now there's so much room and there's so much freedom that that, that step has been taken away. So it, it'll be another interesting free agency, four or five days. Remember, free agency is only three or four days. Once those deals happen, then everything kind of just levels off and you know it's, it's pretty much a flurry of activity for four days and then everything goes back to normal and we start working on the draft. Yeah, it's true. And that gap between free agency and the draft is always longer than it even seems. But we're going to get to free agency. I want to hit a couple things about the end of the combine. And I think that what came out yesterday was really the bigger news about workouts. You know, John Ross ran that 40, but if you watch John Ross play, that's not shocking. You know, he's a very fast guy who gets great separation. His questions are more about health and physicality and issues like that. I mean, I think that he may get bumped up a little bit because of what he ran, but he didn't look slow on tape at all. The workouts that I saw that, or that I heard about, or that you read about, that it's like, wow, I can't even believe that's true, are some of the edge guys in this year's class. You know, Miles Garrett was somebody that people thought could be the first overall pick just based on the tape. And then he came in and I, what he did was ridiculous. I mean, I look at looking at the numbers right now. I'm looking at his little spider graph on Mark Draftable. I don't know if you've ever seen these before, the people that are listening. But essentially, it's kind of a, depending on how many things he did. It's like an octagon or a pentagon or a hexagon, and the color gets drawn out by how high of a percentile you fit, finished in that particular drill. His is just green. Right. <laughs> there, there is no white in there. So. My question to you, Mike, I know he's going to be a high pick anyway, but when you watch these guys, not even him, but a guy like Jordan Willis from Kansas State who people thought was maybe a third-round pick but just blew the doors off everything, how much stock do you put in this stuff? Well, I think you know you have to break down the combine in, in a certain way. De- every position's different. So like defensive linemen, edge guys, you know, you must be able – the 10 times really critical. Sure. So the 40 time is nice and all that, but I think what you're looking for is a 10 time that represents a get-off. 
and being able to have a 10 time with a really good vertical jump. Those two things go hand in hand. And then when you have those two things, then you've got to be able to then equate it to uh, their ability to make tackles, sack sacks, assisted tackles. I mean, there's got to be some production that goes aligned with that athleticism. So for defensive linemen, tackles and assisted tackles and pressures and sacks all have to be equated into the workout. So what you're looking for when you're breaking down those defensive linemen, if you're at home watching the tape, you're saying, okay, Let's go through the list of defensive linemen that are really good in the 10, really good in the vertical jump. Okay, put them in a category. Okay, then, then add the ones that have really good production and then put them in. And if they're good in category one and category two, then you know you've got a really good player. If they're just good in the workout and there's no production, that becomes the enigma. That becomes the guy that's really maybe uh, what, we call, what we call a card player. A card player is a guy that you show a card to and he can act out the play. But when the game is on and it's run or pass, or if somebody's not telling him what to do, his athleticism can't translate. And sure. therefore, it becomes very problematic for you. So the card players, guys who look at a card and can execute, they can mislead you because they look, oh, wow, their athleticism shows up. But when the game is really football and we're not sure whether they're going to run it or they're going to pass it, is it going to be a play action pass? Do we have to convert from run to pass? And all those things add up, then it becomes a problem. So you, that's what you're trying to work your way through. So when you're looking at a guy like Jonathan Allen, who's kind of on the other side of the spectrum after this weekend, somebody whose production was just off the charts his entire career, he runs a 5-0 in the 40, and it's not as if that was a kind of an outlier compared to his other testing. You know, he only had a 30-inch vertical leap. He's 286 pounds, a big man, but it still seems like those kind of explosion numbers are not what you see on tape. So when there's a gap there, is there a place, is there a spot on the chart, is there a number at each of these where you say, this is where the red flag begins to make? No, because I think with him, when you watch him, they slide the protection. When you're grading a defensive tackle, different than an end, when you're grading a defensive tackle, the only time you really can get a true accurate grade on the player is a level of comp. Okay, let's just get, let, let me just say this very quickly. College football is not about how many tapes you watch. I hear this all the time. I watched 15 tapes on this prospect. I saw every play. College football evaluation is about level of competition. So when you're watching Jonathan Allen, all due respect to Vanderbilt, all due respect to <laughs> some of the other teams that they play, you have to watch him against the better teams that, and the better competition. You know, you want to watch him against the center from LSU. You want to watch him against the guys that are going to get drafted and then evaluate him in those games. And that one game evaluation is worth eight or more game evaluation somewhere else. But on a defensive tackle, level of comps important. But where the center goes, if the center slides to Jonathan Allen, that means he's getting double teamed. There's a two-way go on him he can't utilize. And if he can get pressure when the center slides to him, he's a really good player. And when the center slides away from him, which didn't happen very much, and then he's one-on-one -on -one with a guard, and he defeats the guard, you know you got a really good player. But at oftentimes, when you're evaluating tackles, you have to really be concerned or, or you have to be cognizant of the protection that they're utilizing within the scheme. And that's really what leads you to the correct evaluation. So just one more thing. I mean, the Miles Garrett story is probably going to be what dominates the draft, aside from the quarterback conversations over the next month or so. 
if you're Cleveland and he clearly looks like the guy physically and if you like the tape, is what kind of package would you need to say, okay, this guy is not worth taking. I'd rather have more shots and stick to this process we've been doing with the picks. Look, I think Cleveland needs blue chip players. I think sure. you know there's a there's a line of demarcation in every draft is you know trading down's great and to get a lot more players, but if you can draft a blue chip player, I think it's time to draft a blue chip player. And Cleveland needs to add blue chip talent. And especially if you can add blue chip talent to the offensive and defensive fronts, which is really ultimately where the game's decided, you should do that. If you feel Garrett is the a blue chip player in the evaluation, then you should draft him. And unless you know somebody's willing to offer you a lot where you can then remember draft picks are have to translate into players. So when you say, okay, they've offered you X, Y, and Z for Garrett, then you have to evaluate wait, is he worth this player, that player, if we got a package of deals? And I think that's really where, if Cleveland, if I'm Cleveland, I need blue chip players. I need more talent on my team. I need somebody to build around, and I think Garrett would be a guy to build around. And you look at him, and he's Von Miller was the second overall pick, but that's only because of circumstance. In almost any other draft, Von Miller would have been the first overall pick. You look at Clowney. These are guys that sometimes it's just that obvious. It's just that clear that this is a guy you can have on your team and he becomes the most impactful player in any given game. And it just seems hard to pass on those guys. I mean, even no, no matter what the value is and you're looking at it on a chart or whatever, and that's what they've done so far, there are certain guys where it just seems like I can't not have him because, right. because there's no way B plus plus B plus does not equal A plus. That's not how it always works. Right. And, and let's be real honest. We're building a championship team. We're not collecting players. Yep. So I think there lies the difference. And I think you have to understand what what's the first step towards building a championship team, having a dominant pass rusher. So you have to add that piece. A collection of talent is is nice, but until you build the right kind of team, it's hard to do that. All right, so let's move on from the combine and start getting into free agency because we have to. <laughs> the free yeah. agency technically opens tomorrow. And I think when you and I chatted about this a little bit, that the idea of it being so close together, it, free agency started last week. <laughs> you know, right. teams, agents are talking to teams or whatever. And that's tampering. We know that. But it, it definitely was taking place. So there are a few different positions I find particularly interesting in this free agent class. One of them is not the edge guys because those guys are all gone. Every single top guy was either franchised, even the second tier guys like your Mario Addisons are back with their team. So that group becomes a little less interesting to me. But the, where I wanted to start is with wide receiver because none of those guys were franchised. So the two people that you thought might be were Jeffrey and Terrell Pryor. They're both on the market. So it just feels like there's a lot of interesting guys at that position. And just first thing, of the of that group, who would interest you the most, even if it's at that higher number? Well, I think the reason they weren't franchised is because I think they're asking for more than really what the market's going to bring. Sure. I think that's why Pryor hasn't been signed. I'm sure Pryor thinks he's going to get $12, 13000000 million a year, and probably the numbers show he should make somewhere between 8 and 9 Now, you know, understanding there's competition, but I think there's such a disparity between what the club's offering and what the player thinks he's going to get in the open market. That's why there hasn't been a deal done. I like Pryor. I think Pryor has a chance to really excel and get better. I mean, this is only his second season, really devoting his career to being a wide receiver. I think once he learns to be more physical with the ball in his hand, doesn't run out of bounds as often with the ball, I think he's, there's an upside to him that's going to improve. I think Kenny Stills finally became the player, I think, the, the, that 
the Saints saw when they drafted him, and in Miami he really has flourished. He's 24 years old, 20, soon to be 25, so he's a younger player. You know, Pryor's 27, so you know some of these guys are a little bit older. But those two guys there, to me, have a chance to get better and improve. Jeffrey, good player, jump ball receiver. And when I say jump ball receiver, meaning that when the ball's in the air, he's usually covered, but he comes down with it. And those are good guys to have on your team, because even when they're covered, they're open. And so I think, but the money is going to become so great. I think Tennessee is going to invest money in one of these receivers because they need one so badly. They're going to overpay, and I think it'll help them. Jeffrey needs to go to the right team with the right quarterback, and I think that'll really enhance his play. But we see it all over the league. I think teams have a sense that there's receivers you can find in these third, fourth, and fifth round that can produce. And if we're going to spend 14 or $15 million, we better make sure we're getting a number one receiver. And that's a cliche because there's not a lot of number one receivers in the NFL. That's th- that's kind of what I'm thinking. Is that when you look at these teams, even when Jeffrey was at his best, he wasn't technically the number one receiver on the team. I mean, Brandon Marshall was probably the number one receiver. And Jeffrey was good last year, two years ago, for half the season when he was the guy, but that's another problem you run into. He does not play that often. And when he does play, there have been stretches of his career where it's a hamstring there, it's a knee there. He's on the field, but he's a diminished version of himself. And I think those are that's what you have to take into account. And in all actuality, that's what you have to take into account most years in free agency. Right. These guys are on the market for a reason. Right. And whether if it's Jeffrey, it's because of that. If it's Sean Jackson, it's because he's 30 and he's hurt a decent amount. So there's uh, there are nicks all, with all of these guys. There's no perfect product available. But because there's so much money, these imperfect products are going to get pretty perfect contracts. Right. And then, you know, look, let's face it. I mean, unless your team's really good, the last position you can fit, the last position that really influences is almost wide receiver. So sure. when you bring, if you're a bad team and you bring in and you pay a lot of money for a wide receiver, that doesn't make you a better team. You know, and, and it gives you a great press conference in February. But really, when the season starts, you don't really have, can't, if you can't protect, you can't get the ball to them. And I think you learn that, as, as we talked about, the number one receiver is a unique animal in the NFL. There's just not a lot of them. And when these guys get paid as number one receivers and go somewhere else and the coverage gets rolled to them and they have to deal with all the different coverages that A.J. Green deals with, that Julio Jones deals with, that the top receivers deal with in the league and they can't really separate or can't get open, then all of a sudden the value that you paid isn't really there. And that becomes problematic. So when you're looking at a guy, say it's Jeffrey, okay, in this hypothetical, and I think your point about receivers and where they fit in your team building is very interesting because with Tennessee, I think that their pieces are coming together with them. They have Mariota. They've built that offensive line. They have running backs. They need receiving help. That is kind of the last piece on that offense. So if you're the Titans and you're looking at what it's going to cost to get Jeffrey, say it's $14 million a year, which puts them at the top of the market, by the way, Right? would you rather do that or would you rather say, we have the 18th pick? We can get Brandon Cooks for a combination of five for five million total dollars in the next two years. Would you do that? Do you think that has more value than paying Alshon Jeffrey fifteen million? Yeah, I do. I do. I think you have to look at that. I think that you know you get two years of a decent contract. You know, Jeffrey, the durability really has to worry you because you can Mm -hmm. pay fourteen, but you may not be getting fourteen million. You talked about it earlier in the podcast. I mean, he's out there, but that's not the same player. So durability is as important as ability, and I think that's where you get concerned with. And I think you know, Pryor is a guy that people see, and they're wondering why the Browns haven't signed him. He's a young player. 
can he be durable? He's played one year. He's got a lot of plays on tape that really look good. He's got some plays on tape that don't look as well. So I think you have to weigh the free agency, the trade, and the draft before you make the decision on Jeffrey. This is not just a linear decision on should we sign Alshon Jeffrey. It's it's a multi-dimensional decision. It's it's where you have to be able to say, okay, I could draft this guy and get that. I have this guy on my team. And then you've got to ask yourself the question, if we pay this guy $14 million and bring him into our locker room, what do we then end up paying all our younger players when they become free agency? Yeah. You know, you've got to weigh that effect on it. It isn't just a, everybody looks at free agency as a linear item, and it's not. It has antennas that reach all over the place, and you've got to be able to play out every single scenario before you sign the player. And really, if you're, you know, if you're Tennessee, would you be better off signing Kenny Stills at half the money? Say he gets eight or nine, then would you be signing Jeffrey at fourteen? Now maybe Stills gets more than that, but then you walk away. And I think you have to kind of play that game a little bit. You can't free agency cannot be you have to get one player. That's when you overpay. Free agency is about the next guy. Who would we sign if we don't get this guy, and how much is he worth? And be disciplined in that area. And that's it's kind of interesting because you know, we think about well you need a guy at this position, but especially a receiver, those guys come in all different shapes and sizes. You, there are so many different types of players and different types of contributors at that spot. So if you're looking at the group that's available and you say we need a guy who can make our quarterback more accurate by virtue of his ability to go get the ball by how big he is. So if that's the guy you want, then you either want Jeffrey or maybe a guy like Pryor. But if you need a guy to take the top off, then you're looking at a Stills or a Jackson or anything like that. So it's just that's the type, one of the type of spots to kind of go find guys in because they give you specific skill sets, but oftentimes receivers in free agency are limited to that specific skill set. Because you have a guy that can do more than that, he's not becoming a free agent. Right. And I think you have to play the run game into this, too. Because if you're Tennessee, you're running the football a little bit. So whatever receiver you sign is going to be able to block on the perimeter. Totally. I know fans don't think that's a big deal, but it is a big deal. When you're in 11 personnel, one back, one receiver, well, three one back, one tight end, you know you need to be able to have guys be able to block the nickel corner, to be able to, to handle the inside slot. Effectively, so you know, I, I think that does play into it. I'm not sure that you know you don't pay to for a block, but you, your team has to match your running game has to match the receivers. And I think you know, and I've said this before, receiving core has to be like a basketball team. You need a power forward receiver, you need a center receiver, you need a small forward receiver, you need a point guard receiver. You need different kind of receivers because it forces the defense to then have different kind of corners to cover. Like when you look at the Raiders, they don't have any point guard corners to cover a change of direction receiver. So they struggle against any kind of those receivers. But they have power forward corners that can handle the bigger guys. So you have to build a receiving core that forces your opponent to change and diversify its portfolio in the secondary. And that really then allows you to be more successful. And that's why I think that one of the names and the links that we've seen so far in free agency is the idea that Deshaun Jackson is attracted to Tampa Bay. And if you look at what they have with Mike Evans, they need that. They, they do. don't have a speed option outside of him. And we talked about this when we're talking about Tennessee. Just the idea of where are you in your team building? And I don't love the Bucks offensive line, but it'd be hard for them to spend any more on it based on what they've done. Right. <laughs> Donovan Smith's a second round pick. They spent a lot of money on J.R. Sweezy, who didn't play last year. Ali Marpet's a second round pick. So they've put a lot into it, and it's not really possible for them to move on yet. So if you're spending money on that offense, 
look at Deshaun Jackson and say, we don't have a guy like that. We need a guy like that. And it's really our only place to go get someone. So it all does make sense when you're piecing it together. Right. And, you know, look, Jason Light, the general manager, had a history with Deshaun in Philadelphia. So he knows the kid. That plays a factor here, too. If you know the kid, you know what you're getting. You can sell the coaches. You could sell the coordinators on the fact, hey, I know this guy. I've been around him. This is what he can do. This is what he's like in the locker room with accuracy as opposed to hypothetical. And I think that really plays in the free agency as well. All right, we're going to get more into our free agency preview after this quick break. But first, let's talk about podcasts. All this month, we're asking you to tell a friend about a podcast they'd love. Right now, think of a friend, your mom, anybody you care about. What podcast would they really love? Got it? Now do it. Tell them about it in real life or on social media. And if they don't know about podcasts, show them how to use them. Tell us what you recommend with the hashtag tripod, T-R-Y-P-O-D. Thanks for spreading the word. One spot the Bucks could probably use more help is just on the interior of the line in general from a talent perspective. You know, Sweezy was there, just got a deal, but they could get better at center. And that interior spot on the line, this class is very interesting to me. I think that comparatively to the rest of the talent at the position in the league, you could argue that the guards in this class are, are actual star guards, are guys that are compared to the best in their class. So what the guys we're looking at there are TJ Lang, Kevin Zeitler, you know, Larry Warford is probably one step down from there, but a good young player. Do you see those guys as top of the market value guys? Would you give each of them somewhere in the range of nine or 10 million? I think they're really good players. I think, you know, uh when you look at TJ Lang, I, I think when you see the guys that could come in, they're going to start, they're going to play. You know, people say, I don't want to overpay a guard. You can find guards. <laughs> but then we can't find guards. I mean, like, exactly try to put, right. try to, I love that line. You know, you know, why would you pay a guard? You can find guards. Well, but you can't find guards. You know, like Ron Leary at Dallas is a really good player. I mean, Dallas I totally is agree. fortunate to have a guy that good that's backing up. You know, when Collins gets hurt, he comes in. Now, he's not a guy that can play in a lot of different systems and scheme. I think you have to, when you sign a guard, you have have to make sure intellectually they can handle what you want to do offensively. Yeah. That's the challenge. And Leary has struggled at times. One of the reasons he didn't play at Dallas is because he made mental mistakes. But he's really a good football player. And I think when you look at Warford, when you go back to when Jeremy, Jeremy uh, Jeremiah Washburn was coaching him his first couple of years, he was really a good player. He hasn't played as well as he's played better as a rookie than he has in his fourth year. But I think he's one of those guys who can run block, he can pass protect very effectively. I think he's going to get paid more. You know, all these guys are going to get paid because they're plug and play players. You put them in, they play. Now you just got to handle it. But if you're Tampa and you need somebody inside and you've got all this cap room, you know, you can get away with doing. This and that's and you look at and the well, you can find guards thing is interesting to me because I think that's an old way of thinking. I think that's a when your defensive tackles are not guys that are first of all if they're not defensive ends playing defensive tackle on third down, which is a whole different issue. It just seems like the way that you're getting more interior pass rushers as a centerpiece of what defenses do, it's important to have guys that can block them, right. and that's why I think that. If you there, I don't know if the thinking has caught up with the value, and that's why I think in recent seasons you've seen guys get signed as guards for big money, and no one's really regretted it yet. You know, Ayupati's limited, but he's been good for them. Right. So I just think that it's a position where it's worth spending that sort of money on these guys. Well, when you look at these th these four guys we talked about, I mean, the one thing they can do is keep the pocket firm. Totally. And and if you can't keep like the Giants need a guard, I mean, they need to keep the pocket firm. Their right guard last year, you know, didn't play particularly well. You know. You know, uh, 
Jerry, John Jerry, that, that you know the right tackle didn't play well. They need an offensive line that can road great and can pass protect. But most importantly, they need the pocket firm inside. That's where the Saints have always done a good job of building their offensive line because they know they can deal with the edge guys because Breeze is going to step up in the pocket. And if mm-hmm. the pocket isn't firm inside, it's hard for the quarterback to step up. And I think these guys can do that. And that's why they're so valuable. But I agree with you. I think people talk about, oh, we can find a guard. Yeah, good luck. Try to find one. You know, good luck. See if you can find one. And it's hard to do. And I feel like that's the market at this position is going to be one of the more interesting to watch because oh, they're going there to are paid. a lot of guys, but there is a lot of demand. They're going to get paid. All these guys yeah. are going to be like whatever number you think add four million more to it because they're going to get paid. There's going to be competition for it because there's too many teams that need linemen and they're again they're plug and play players. You put them in, they're going to start. You boom, you put them right in the guard. There's a, there's one position you feel where if you draft a guard and the Halbert, the the kid from Hobart, you know uh, at Tampa, you know you think he's a starter, but then he gets hurt. He comes in. Sometimes in the draft, they're not always plug-and-play players. And you look at the teams that need them. On top of the Giants, I mean, the two that come to mind instantly for me are Atlanta and Minnesota. I think that Atlanta, the biggest weakness they have at the, on that offense is at those spots. Right. Chris Chester's, I don't know, he's 47 years old. I right. have yeah, some free agent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and, and Andy Levitri's not a very good player. The center's great, but they need help on all. They need help at all their offensive line. I mean, they they hit. That's the one thing that Kyle Shanahan did a great job of. He's always done a good job of hiding his offensive linemen because in the zone scheme, they're more worried about blocking the second level than they are the first level. So it's really a pillow fight. And when when they have to drop back and throw the football, and they've got to hold on to the ball, and their inside guards can't handle the power inside, that becomes a problem. But look, you see it all over the league. I think Minnesota can, they need offensive linemen from left tackle to right tackle. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I mean, they need it badly. I mean, so you could sign any of these guys in Minnesota and say, "Boy, he's a plug and play player." Yeah, and I think the guy, you know, I don't know who it's going to be, but basically, you know, independent I know scheme matters, but if you're looking at this group, is there somebody that is more attractive to you than the others? Well, I think Ziegler and I think Lang can play probably much in any scheme. I think Warford sure. can as well. I think Leary's the guy that would be cautionary in terms of what you want to do and how complex and who he's going to play next to and who could help him out and make sure he understands. You know, he's not going to be the guy coming in and pointing out the mic to the other lineman. He's not going to be the guy making the adjustment call. He's going to need somebody you can put next to him and feel comfortable that you could play with him. And but all these guys. You know, can run the zone scheme. All these guys, you know, Leary's more of a power, knock you off the ball type of player, but the other three guys can play and get to the second level. They could pretty much fit in any scheme. And that's when you think about Leary, and if he's not going to be that guy, they have that guy. Their center is very much that guy. So if you want to need a guy that's going to put everybody in the best spot, I think that would make sense for them because I don't think he's going to cost the same as those other three probably are. Well, I mean, I think it's probably Zeitler. Zeitler and Lang, and then you know Warford a little bit stepped down, and Leary a little bit stepped down. If I'm building a little hierarchy of, in, for myself, yeah, I mean, look, if I were the Bears, I would sign Warford and I would kick Kyle Long out the right tackle. And then I know they've got a lot of money in their offensive line, but then at least now you've got a really good offensive line because right now Massey's not a very good right tackle. And you've got cap room, and you could really fix the line. So that's what I would do. I think you got a chance. You've paid Long a lot of money. Why play him at guard? Kick him out, make him the right tackle. Great, great. I know he's been injured. I know he's coming off a couple injuries, but that's what I would do. I think that's the two area where if you're the Bear fans, your left, your ta- left and right tackle are your liability. And I think if you can move one of your better players to tackle, I would do that. 
That, that makes sense, but I just God, I hate doing that to Kyle Long. I just I hate pop, like popping guys around position. He's been become such a good guard, and they're yanking him around every year. It just I don't know. That that's tough for me, mostly because I feel for the guy. Like you you get really good at this one thing, and we're just going to make you change every season. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, look, it's good for the team. So you got you know, sure. team comes I first. Know. I know. All right. All right. Before we move on, can we talk about one more Bears thing for like 30 seconds? Sure. Because I need to ask you about it because it's making me really sad every day I think about it. If Mike Lennon's worth $14 million a year and my team is reportedly the one that's going to go after him hardest, should I just like walk into a lake? I don't. You know, Mike Lennon's an interesting guy. You know, you talk to the people who drafted Mike Lennon, the Shana, the Shiano crew. They all love the kid. I mean, he played really well. I think if you look at his numbers compared to some other players that played as rookie, his numbers weren't bad. You know, and this is a kid that at North Carolina State, for the wrong reason, ran off Russell Wilson. There's a lot to like about Mike Lennon. They wouldn't trade Mike Lennon. Like what I was last off season when when. Um, not last off season, but when Teddy Bridgewater hurt his knee, the first thing I thought of, if I'm Minnesota, I'm offering a fairly good deal for Glennon. Because I figure, like, look, they're going to get rid of him. Would I have paid a one for Glennon? No. Would I have paid a one for Bradford? Probably not. But I would have been able to get a good young player because Tampa has had offers for Glennon and they've kept turning them down. And they had Winston already on their roster. So that tells you they like the player. I, I, I've been predicting that Glennon's going to make a, huge, a boatload of money because he's got talent. He's if he's the in the right system in the right offense, he can do some things effectively. And you know, t- there's such a devoid of quarterbacks in the NFL that you know supply and demand. He's just going to make a lot more money. And I think if you sign Glennon, this is the if you're a Bears fan and you sign Glennon, then you have to know that you hope that Dow Loggins, the offense coordinator, John Fox, the head coach, they have a specific plan in place that they're going to build a team around what Glennon can do. Because quarterbacks are like baseball stadiums. You have to design the team around what he does best. And then if you do that, he'll be successful. If not, then you're wasting the money. To me, it's just that where you are in, in your progression as a roster. At Mike Lennon's 27. He's going to be 28. And I'm not saying that dudes that are 28 are can't get better or can't do this, because I'm older than that. But I think you're far enough away that the idea of giving Mike Glennon $15 million a year for uh, probably two years, if you look at the contract structure, I don't understand why you wouldn't just give a mid-tier veteran quarterback $4 million a year, let the cap space sit there, well, who, and then go you, find someone in the draft. Who, who, who do you want to give? You know, I'd give it to Hoyer, seriously. Well, I think Hoyer's going to make significant money. I think Hoyer's okay. going to make some money. I think Hoyer's going to probably make over five. Well, I give, I give him that then. I, I know, give Hoyer I mean, I $6 million dollars a year. But, but I'd rather I th- do that. I think Hoyer, you know, Hoyer played really well for him. Hoyer played better than Brock Osweiler, who made $16 million a year. <laughs> yes, he did. Okay. That's why I wouldn't and they, mind it. And they got rid of Hoyer. And they got rid of Hoyer down in Houston. You know, and so, look, I, I think, you know, the only time you're ever going to fix your team is until you fix your quarterback. All those plans about waiting and massaging and doing something else, you got to have a conviction. But it isn't just turn the card in for Mike Lennon. It is have a plan for Mike Lennon. Yeah. And I think that's where I think you get gun shy as a fan is because you're not sure your team has a plan for Mike Lennon. 
And if well, you don't, and, 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 you know, John Fox could be entering the last year of his deal there. Is Ryan Pace going to be there? Are we going to go through? If we don't win this year, are they going to change the organization? You know, the Jets, are they going to, if they sign Mike Lennon, because they're in play for Mike Lennon as well. If they sign Mike Lennon, are they going to, you know, Todd Bowles is going to leave. Does that mean they're going to change the complete staff again? I think this is an organizational decision. I think your owner's got to be, if you're giving this guy $14 million, your, your owner's got to say to you, look, we're going to commit to this guy for two years. It's going to be no short leash. We're going to build a team around him, and we're going to try to fix the team around his skill set and his strength. That's the only way we get out of it, much like Andy Reid did with Alex Smith. No, sure. nobody wanted. Nobody was thinking that that was a, to give up two number twos for Alex Smith, the guy. You know, everybody. Like, but Andy did a great job of building his team and designing his offense around. He made it Utah pro. It's it's West Coast college pro offense. That's what he did, and I think that's really the lesson to learn here. So if you sign Glennon, you better use the Andy Reid program and design the offense around what he does. That's my concern in part is because if you look at what they have right now, if Jeffrey goes. What do you? Who's catching the ball? <laughs> well, look, they you blew it with Cam Kevin White. Whoever else. I mean, they blew it with Kevin White. I mean, Kevin White doesn't play nearly. I mean, Kevin White was one of those guys that we talk about. You know, great speed, but you know, receiver is an instinctive position. It also is a position that requires reps. Like, what receiver doesn't? If he doesn't make a lot of plays in college, and I'm not saying Kevin White didn't, but my point here is, is that there is some instinctive things that have to happen. And I think when you look at it. You see Kevin White's not really a one, he's not a two, he's not a four. And he's not a five because he doesn't play the kicking game. Kevin White's a guy that you really, that's the guy that you say to yourself, man, I think we might have blown it. And there's a perfect example of a young team starting out trying to draft a receiver to build around him. And you know what? They end up with nothing. But if you're them and you go get Mike Lennon, then I think that you have to say, all right, we're going to, they have a ton of money, especially if they cut colors, give me the 65 million range. It's a lot. So if you give Glennon 15 million, your draft picks are another five, whatever, still leaves you with some decent change. And that's, to me, where you have to say, all right, we need to go get a guy like Pierre Garçon, somebody that's a pro. Because if you have a quarterback and you're going to trot out the group you had last year, include, like without Jeffrey, that to me is a recipe for disaster. But so they moved the ball without Jeffrey. They moved the ball without. I mean, they've had. They're, they're so used to playing without Jeffrey. It's not even funny. That's a good point. <laughs> I mean, you know, like they moved. Like like people talk. Well, you know, they, how many times he's been inactive? I mean, you know, yeah. you go through the list. I mean, look, look. To me, if I'm the Bears, I'm doing. I got a good young back. I would put money in the offensive line. I would move long to right tackle. I'd fix that. I'd get the quarterback. But I would put a lot more money on defense because if we don't slow some people down, if we don't get a cover corner on defense, if we don't add another defensive lineman inside, if we don't get better on defense, we're not going to be. So I would put a lot of resources in the defense and then hope in the draft that I can find a receiver and develop some younger receivers down the road. But to me, the Bears are about fix the offensive line, fix your defensive line, get a cover corner, and fix the quarterback. You do that, you can compete. And that's a perfect segue, because I want to talk about the corners next. And I think that they're a guy that they've been rumored to be interested in is Stephon Gilmore. And if you look at this group, even with, with Tremaine Johnson gone, I still feel like there's a lot of guys available in this group that, like we talked about, where you need diversified skill sets. I think Gilmore's a really good player that is your cover corner no matter what you do. But outside of him, I still think there's a bunch of talent at this with this group that can make teams a lot better and are probably going to make more than people think they are. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, corner people. Look, this the Rams just gave Tremaine Johnson 
and $16 million. I mean, it's like ridiculous. Like, they have two players on their roster that, you know, the Patriots probably would play $4 million total for both of them. You know, so, I mean, who knows at these corners? And I, again, corner is much like you may, you better make sure the corner you signed fits the scheme. The Redskins signed Josh Norman. He doesn't, he didn't fit the scheme. He's a zone cover two, cover man under corner that went, went and they paid him like he was a shutdown corner. That's not who he is. He's a good football player, but he's best when he's playing in the right scheme. He can't play in every scheme. And I think that's what you really have to be careful at corner. Look, Logan Ryan's going to make a fortune. Yeah. Logan Ryan's going to make a lot of money. When, when he was coming out in the draft, I was in Cleveland. Everybody was telling me Logan Ryan couldn't play corner. He wasn't fast enough. Everyone was saying, and I was saying he was one of the few players you could sign that had a back door to him. He could be a free safety because he was so smart. He could play zone. He could play some man. He had liabilities in terms of foot speed, no question. But he had instincts on the football. And so if you sign Logan Ryan and you pay him a ton of money, the same problems that you were talking about that made him a third-round pick in 2013 are going to be the same problems that are today. The money's not going to make those problems go away. But the scheme that he has to play in is going to fit. But you're going to pay a lot of money. Look at all the corners that have been cut recently that have made boatloads of money in free agency. It's because the scheme doesn't match the player's talent. Yeah. If you're looking at Ryan and you say, okay, he has those speed liabilities, and he played inside mostly New England, and that's why he was successful, would you be willing to pay the same two guy that would play, if you think they're schematically, or just talent-wise, think they're the same, would you be willing to pay the same two guy you know plays inside and you know plays outside just based on how much nickel is currently being played? You have to, well, look, I mean, look, the guy that plays inside is, is almost more important than the guy who plays outside because the guy who plays inside has to run defend. Yeah. So he's going to be a run force player as well. So the guy's got to be tough, and he's also got to be able to blitz and attack the pocket. So he becomes a weapon. He becomes a defensive player who can make plays. So you got to really make sure the right guy's in there. Like, you couldn't sign Drake or Patrick and put him inside there. Like, Drake or Patrick's an outside power forward corner. Okay, he's got you know he's going to get too many pass interference calls. He's going to get too many. But the guy, you know, the guy's going to get paid. The guy is going to get paid. You know, and so... You just to me, it's all about the right scheme, and I think if you can get a nickel inside guy. Now, ideally, maybe you can find that guy in the draft. Maybe you can find that guy who's a quasi corner safety in the draft who you think you can play in there. That's because you know you're going to give him help on top. Maybe you could find that. That's a lot of money to pay for a slot corner, but the slot corner has to do a lot of different skills, and he makes your defense better. It's a lot of interesting names in this group. If you're just looking at it, I think Logan Ryan's a fascinating guy, and I watching him in the playoffs is like this dude can play. He, he deserves to get paid a little bit. And you have Kirkpatrick, who started slow, you know, came on a little bit as you, he went forward in Cincinnati. I think he probably had one of the better years of his career last year. You have Bouye, who came from nowhere in Houston and is now probably the second best guy available. Gilmore's been dinged up a little bit. And then you go even further down, Mo Claiborne's a free agent. He played pretty well last year, but are you concerned because of how the rest of his career in Dallas went? It just yeah. seems like that'd be playing with fire no matter what you get him for. And he only played in seven games, so now yeah. you're playing on seven. Now you're playing a guy that played seven games. I mean, I, I you know, to me, he's a scary player, but he's going to get paid because you're going to pay for potential there. You know, I, I think when you look at it, you know, Prince Akamura, he played well last year. Yeah, you know, he he played decent, and and so you're thinking he's going to get money. I, look. It's, it's a strange group because, again, it comes back to systems and how it fits to within you want to do. I mean, Nolan Carroll, when he came out, you know, he made a, everybody was worried about the Eagles overpaying him. Now he's going to be 30 years old. He had 11 pass broken up last season. I mean, the guy did some that he's limited in foot speed. 
You can't live him on the outside of the island and think you're going to get away with it. Same thing with Tremaine Johnson. I mean, Tremaine Johnson, you line him up on the outside and you say, okay, you got the outside quadrant. There's receivers you, he's going to have to have help on top with. So I, I think it's all about scheme and fit. And I think you got to be really disciplined here to make sure you're not overpaying for a guy that can't do what you want him to do. If you're looking at Bouye and Kirkpatrick, is there a guy between those two, if they're similar in money, that you would totally – this is my guy. I prefer him. I would prefer Bouye than Kirkpatrick because I worry about Kirkpatrick getting past interference calls. Sure. I think he's too handsy, you know, too much. I mean, like, look, Captain Munlin. I mean, there's a perfect example of a guy who just keeps making plays no matter – and he's been cut. He's yeah. a guy that – I didn't mention his name. I should have. I think him and Terrence Newman, honestly. I think Terrence Newman probably isn't – as dedicated to it all when he leaves Zimmer and it's like he steps outside of it. If I'm signing 39-year-old Terrence Newman, I need to know what I'm getting. But Munderland's a year younger. He plays in the slot. I feel like he's not going to get enough. If all these other guys are getting too much, he's probably not going to get enough. And that's the stuff you need to find as teams are lighting money on fire, is right. those guys that maybe get paid what they should. Look, the guy, you know, Marcus Cooper last year, he you know, had 11 passes broken up. I mean, he's not he's an outside corner, limited foot speed. Mm-hmm. But if in the right scheme, like if he signed, if, Mark, if Marcus Cooper signed with Carolina or Buffalo, he would fit their scheme because he's going to play in the flat. He's going to play cover two. He's going to transition. He's going to break on the football. All this comes down to how he fits. Logan Ryan's going to make a ton of money. I mean, like I would be, I've been around Logan. I love Logan as a player. I like Logan coming out in college. But Logan is a guy that you got to make sure you have the right system and the right scheme for. All right, one more spot I wanted to hit, just because I feel like there's some of the bigger names available here, and even beyond that, there are guys that interest me, and that's the interior defensive line guys. And I'm going to throw Calais Campbell into that group as well. He'll get paid more than them, but that's really what he does. So you're looking at Campbell, Dontari Poe, Brandon Williams, Jonathan Hankins, a guy like Nick Fairley who played pretty damn well again last year. Right. When you're looking at these guys, and we've talked about this a little bit before, your Pose and your Williams, who are more big run stuffing guys, and a guy like Fairley, who is a couple years older, you know, up and down, not necessarily know what you're getting. How do you kind of determine value in this group? And are there a couple guys you look at and say, I'd want him, I wouldn't want him? I work third down backwards. Sure. So, you know, I work that look, the guys that I want are the guys that you can't formation them off the field. I mean, Fairley's a guy that when his weight's down and his quickness is high, he's a, he's a disruptive player. Totally. You know, and so, but you know, and so you see these guys that that can impact the game on certain situations, and that doesn't mean like like Allen Branch is not a, a a third down or a nickel player, but Allen Branch, if you put him in and said, look, push the pocket back, like Akeem Hicks, push the pocket back and get something out of him, then there's a lot of value in that. So I'm trying to build the best way I can where you can't formation my tackles off the field, like Brandon Williams. I think Brandon Williams could be a not that he's a nickel rusher with quickness. I think Brandon Williams is a power rusher, walk the quarterback back. So there's money that you would put in him, like they, like Jonathan Hankins. A little bit like what they did, what the Giants did. With Harrison last year. With, with Harrison, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I think that, to me, is, again, it comes down to the plan. Like, you just can't linear sign these players and say, okay, can we sign them to stop the run? Well, that's great, but we know we can find guys to stop the run in the draft. We need guys that can impact and push the quarterback and get into the paint 
of the where the quarterback wants to step up. So, you know, like Benny Logan's a guy. You know, Benny Logan's a guy that I think is probably undervalued. Only he's played 13 totally games agree. this year. I think he's got a lot of ability. Uh, people say, well, he played next to Fletcher Cox. That probably helped him. I think he was dinged a lot this year with the high ankles. I think he had a high ankle. But I think Benny Logan's a really good, good young player. I wanted to draft Benny Logan. He went right before us in Cleveland in the third round. I think he's got a chance to really – I think the best football is ahead of him. And I think with defensive linemen, the one thing we learn, especially tackles, the younger they are, there's still room for improvement. I mean, they're going to get better, and we see it happen all the time. When you look at a guy like Sylvester Williams, and I totally agree with Benny Logan, I mean, the idea of playing next to, next to Fletcher Cox, I don't care. That dude's a monster against the run. Blocking him, it looks like the biggest chore, and that has nothing to do with Fletcher Cox. So when you look at Sylvester Williams, though, when you're looking at a guy in free agency, he hasn't played a ton based on other guys that were there. How much does his draft pedigree and what you thought about him coming out play into your thinking about him now? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. It shouldn't because, look, okay. it, it, they are how they play. They're not where they're gotcha. drafted. Okay. I think you got to just throw that away. Like, Ontario Poe, like, I wouldn't sign Ontario Poe. I know he was picked in the first round. I know people talk about him. He And he flat. he's a trailer player. You know, when you go to the movies and you see the trailers, you know, you think, <laughs> that I should go see that movie. Yeah, well, that's Ontario Poe. I should go see that movie because he's a great trailer player, but there's just not enough consistency. And the fact that the Chiefs are willing to just say, okay, where are you with him? They need defensive tackles. I mean, look, they drafted Chris Smith last Chris Jones. He's a really good player. He's inconsistent as well. I think Poe, when his motor's running high, but Poe's only good when he plays over the nose, when he plays over the center. When you slide him out to three or you play him at two, he's not quite the same player the further he gets away from the ball. So that's the other thing you got to say. Hey, can this guy play away from the – like Brandon Williams can play two. Benny Logan could play a two technique. You know, Often and, does. They, they move them around a lot. Right. So now you're getting more versatility out of your front. Like Alan Branch plays zero. He plays one. He'll play two. He'll play three. And when we first signed Alan Branch, when he got off the street in Buffalo, we played him some at five. And he could do that. So you want versatility with these guys in terms of where they can line up. Sly Williams, to me, he's got to play closer to the football. There's no pass rush with him. I didn't think he was a first-round pick coming out. And to me, he's never really played like it. So the guy I wanted to hit before we get out of here, uh, just long been one of my favorite players in the entire league. I mean, just since over the last five years, I feel like what he's done year in and year out as an interior pass rusher, incredible against the run. If you're looking at Clayus Campbell, he's 30 years old. Right. Do you think he has the same value as some of the edge guys that are younger? I know he plays a lot inside, but if even just from an overall impact perspective, if you had to pay him $13 million and Chandler Jones $16 million, do you think that he is worth that money? I think he's a disruptive force, and I think anytime you get a player who's a disruptive force, you, you pay him. I, I like Calais Campbell. I think he can impact the game. I think anytime you can sign a player that the protection usually has to turn to, then you, that, that guy's worth the money. And I think that that's the problem. And I think that you know they've drafted guys they think could replace them, but this guy is a disruptive and he's long inside. When you're long inside, then <laughs> all like those <laughs> all those one gap schemes that you're using because of arm length and because of the ability to to shed and make plays, it makes your defensive front that much better. So I would I, I like Calais Campbell. I think somebody's going to pay him. And I think the problem is that the Arizona realizes that everybody's going to pay him because he's a good player and they can't really afford to keep they got they have. They've got other things they've got to fix. Yeah, that's the problem. And the other thing about him is what we talked about a couple times over the course of the show. The personality matters with a free agent you bring in. If you're going to pay a guy a ton of money and you're going to show him how much he matters in the locker room, he's a dickhead, it's not going to go well. 
That's one thing you do not have to worry about when it comes to Calais Campbell. He has been the best locker room presence imaginable for like 10 years. And I think any team that signs him is going to get the same guy. I, I think he's a really good player. And I mean, look, let's face it. He's, you know, he's a pro and pros. He understands what he has to do. And, 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 you know, he can do it. And plus, the other thing is, too, we don't minimize this. It's hard to throw. When you get a big guy inside, it's hard to throw the ball over him. Yeah. Like, I think he's worth, like, I think the guy's going to get overpaid as Jason Pierre Paul. Like, I don't think Jason Pierre Paul is nearly played nearly as good as he did when he first came out. Mm-hmm. I don't think I mean, he's, he's the same player. issues that lingered a little bit, and I mean, on top yeah. of the hand. I don't think he's the same player, but he's going to get, like, I would rather put the money in Campbell. All right. I, I, I totally agree with you. So I think that's a good place to end. Mike, thank you so much for doing this. I'm sure we'll be back very soon as you know, free agency kind of winds down. We get to look back a little bit, but I think this is a good primer. I appreciate it. Thanks, Robert. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back later in the week to recap some of the early free agency flurry. And as always, thanks for being around.